0: Our message this morning comes from Micah chapter 6 verse 8 and uh, like I mentioned last week this is very much a we're helicoptering in on a verse and heading out it's probably a very popular verse that most of us if we don't have it memorized we at least know of it because it's, it's powerful and chock full of lots of information lots of ideas. Let's go ahead and as we have done let's uh... Spend some time just repeating it a few times and we'll take a few words away as we do so that we might start committing this verse to our memory. And by committing it to memory, the real hope is that it filters down into our hearts and that we store His verses. We treasure them in our hearts. But say this with me together. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I know if you've heard it in other translations, you're probably struggling maybe with kindness there, but uh, let's try it again. Let's take away a few of those words. Let's say this together again Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. All right, we're going to take away a few more words one more time. All the big words, for the most part, are gone. Let's see how we do. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O oh man, What is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Amen. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? And that that's what we are looking at this morning: this idea of what does God require of us? What does He desire, expect? That we would live. What does he ask or call us to in the world? Now, the the statement in Ma- Micah chapter six verse eight is a response. It's a response to what has been asked prior in verses six and seven. And in, in Micah chapter six verse six, the the question is put forward: With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before? the God on high? Shall I come to Him with burnt offerings? With yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams, in ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now that sounds some Interesting things. You know, he's asking, What what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? What should we come before him with? And then some questions. You know, burnt offerings? Yearling calves? Does the Lord delight in the thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Now, those aren't actually out of the realm of possibility. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple. he used thousands of animals in his sacrifices. And later on, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, when he reopened the temple and rededicated it, they had thousands, again, thousand rams. So these ideas are not too crazy. In fact, Micah in his writing, who he is writing, or uh, the, the, the kings that he is writing during their reign, the, his prophecies, came, his ministry came during the reigns of three kings in Judah. The first king was a man by the name of Jotham. He was Uzziah's son. So in Isaiah chapter 6, when it begins in in the year that King Uzziah died, well, Jotham was the king in that time. And if you recall, Isaiah is in the temple praying when God reveals himself to him. You know what's funny about the, the, the history of the temple in that time is Uzziah actually tried to offer incense to God in the place of the priest, and the priest told him, don't do it. But Uzziah wanted that position, and he took it upon himself, and he offered the incense, and he became a leper from his head to his feet. And he could no longer come into the temple, and he could no longer participate in the, the worship with the kingdom. And I wonder what that did to Jotham, because Jotham never went into the temple. He was, as both 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles tells us, a man after uh, his father David. He he lived for the Lord, he worshipped the Lord, he did good things, but he left the high places alone, which is a common they were good, but. They left the high places alone. They didn't cut down the high places. The high places were where worship outside of the temple happened. Whether people were worshiping God or worshiping other gods, they would go to the high places, and he left those alone. And Jotham didn't go into the temple. I wonder if that was because of what had happened to his father that he was afraid. He served God, but he wouldn't go into God's house. And Jotham's son was a man named Ahaz. And Ahaz did not walk in the ways of his father, King David. And I can't help but wonder if Ahaz didn't walk in the ways of his father, David, because he did not see his father, Jotham, go regularly to worship. Jotham followed in the ways of King David, Jotham was a good king and loved God, but it doesn't seem like he was able to pass it down to his kids. And so Ahaz comes along, and Ahaz actually made his son pass through the fire. And now we understand that to mean that he sacrificed his son. And that's what the psalmist says in the last part of verse 7, or the psalmist, Micah says in the last part of verse 7 there, shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Should I sacrifice my child because of the things I have done? Would this please God? Now we can all say No. That would not please God. In fact, we know that that is very displeasing to God. The only time God has ever asked for the sacrifice of a firstborn or for a son is from Abraham, and even then, he never really was going to let Abraham go through with it. He didn't ask him, sacrifice your son because you're a sinner. No. He said, I want to test you to see if you love me. Do you love me, Abraham? Do you love me more than this son of the promise that I have given you? Do you trust me, Abraham? Do you trust me to the point where you would do the very thing that seems to be against all the hope you have in life? And Abraham did. The only other son that we have that's sacrificed in the right way is Jesus. And he was sacrificed for our sins. But God chose him. And God sent him. But a wicked king like Ahaz would send his son through the fire. And just as an aside, what does it say about the wickedness of us as a country? That parents sacrifice their children for their own sins. There's a difference between birth control and abortion. We should never consider abortion, birth control. There's a difference between stopping something from happening and saying, ah, I shouldn't have done that. Now I'm pregnant, what am I going to do? I've got a life I want to live. I have things I want to do. I know what I will do. Because I could not control myself here, I will destroy this other person now. We, as a culture, for 40 years have lived this wickedness. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? That's what we as a country do. That is what we have a country, as a country have been doing since the 70s. So as crazy as it sounds that a man would make his son and sacrifice his son to a god and put a, pass him through the fire... It is not that crazy because we do the same thing. We sacrifice our young for our rebellious acts so that we can get ahead. That's what happens in our culture. You hear it in so many people that have chosen to have an abortion. What do they say? Well, I had things I wanted to do. It wasn't the right time for me. This is the wickedness that Micah was dealing with and struggling with, and some people might have even thought it was a righteous action. That's what's really crazy. You can get so twisted, you can think it's a righteous action. And there are Christians today that will support abortion saying it's a righteous action. It is a good thing. The sermon's not about abortion, though. That was just a little tangent from that verse. Ahaz, Ahaz not only caused his son to walk through the fire Ahaz got into skirmishes and fights with Israel. This was right before Israel's kingdom was destroyed. And Ahaz, because he was under attack from Aram and he was under attack from Israel, he cried out to the king of Assyria to help him. And the king of Assyria came in and he he defeated Israel and Aram, but then he also made Judah a vassal state. He took over Judah as well. And here's how crazy Ahaz was. Ahaz went up to Damascus to meet with the king of Assyria and he saw the altar there in Damascus and he sent notice to the priest back in the temple in Jerusalem to build a new altar that was based on the altar there in Damascus. And his reasoning was, these are the gods that defeated me. I'm going to start worshiping them in the hopes that they will now Support me and help me to be strong. He completely cast out God in his life and started worshiping other gods because they had defeated him. I have no idea how Hezekiah, growing up in that environment with that man as a father, could be as good as Hezekiah was. But Hezekiah, when he came on the scene, he started walking according to the ways of King David and he changed all of those things. He reopened the temple. They cleansed the temple. They got so crazy. The, the nation of Israel, or excuse me, of Judah, uh, they got so happy and crazy in celebrating the Passover. After the week of Passover was over, the people said, let's do it again. And they had a second week of Passover. They, they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for 14 days straight. That's not prescribed in the Bible. They just... Felt like it. That was how excited they were to be worshiping God again in the proper ways. But even Hezekiah struggled. In fact, Hezekiah became sick once, and God came to him through the prophet Isaiah and said, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. And Hezekiah said, Lord, I have walked with you. I have served you. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. Don't do this to me. And so God said, I'll give you 15 more years. 15 more years. Unfortunately, in that 15 years, Hezekiah became proud. He became haughty. And one of his things that he did was the emissaries came from a far land and he was so tickled that they came and visited him. They wanted to see what great things God had been doing in his land. They were amazed that Judah had been able to overcome Assyria and had freed itself and They honored him, and so he honored them by showing them everything that was in his house, showing them all the treasure of the temple, walking them through everything. And Isaiah came afterwards and said, what have you been doing? He said, where were those people from? And Hezekiah said, oh, they're from this very distant land called Babylon. What did you show them? I showed them everything that is mine. I showed them how powerful I am. I showed them how rich I am. And the prophet said, you showed them everything they're going to take away from you. But it's not going to happen in your lifetime. And Hezekiah, I, I, this really, I don't like this about Hezekiah. He thought to himself, hey, at least I'm going to have good life. It's going to happen in my kid's life. I don't care. At least it's, it's not going to happen while I'm on the throne. I can live with that. These are the kings. As good as Hezekiah was and as good as Jotham was, they had their struggles, but Ahaz was bad. And and since Micah served under all three of them, you can imagine the bulk of his time was with Ahaz. And he has been proclaiming against these people, the the Jews in Judah, he has been proclaiming to them how they need to follow God and turn away from their wickedness and what he is going to do And, and... to plead their case before the Lord. And and God's reminding them of all the good things He has done for them. And their question is, is, well, what should we do? With what shall I come to the Lord? What kind of sacrifices do I need? What kind of actions do I need to take? Would it be enough if I sacrificed a 1,000 rams? Would it be enough if we had like 10,000 rivers of oil? Would Would that do the job? What if I gave my firstborn? What if I sacrificed my son to God? Would he be happy with me? And the response in verse eight, "He has told you, "O oh man, what is good? You, you don't need to ask these questions. He has told you, you already know what you need to do. And that word told it's a, it's a really it's, it's a Hebrew word, Neged. Or negad, excuse me, and it means to, something that is conspicuous. It means to stand boldly out opposite somebody. It, it, it's funny because it, you know, it, it, he has told you, the word doesn't even really mean to tell somebody, it means to be obvious. It means to stand out against something else, to be uh, exposed. And so the idea here is that he has already told you, he has already made it known. You don't need somebody to tell you what God wants. You know in your heart already, and I would say this is true for us, isn't it? That that you know if you are doing a right thing or a bad thing, don't you? You know, and the worst is when it could go either way, and and you know maybe you know it's not like there are some things that are just hard and fast sin. We all know they're sin. They're sin for everybody. And then there are other things where it depends on the circumstances. It depends on what God is calling us to do. For one person, and a great picture of this, there was a movie in the 80s called The Mission. And it was about these priests, these Catholic priests, in a mission in South America. And the Spanish army is going to come and has given these mercenaries the right to take all the Indians that they are, the native people that they have been ministering to that are part of the church, to take him into slavery. And the priests don't know the right way to respond. One of them has been a priest all of his life. He's the one that started the mission, and he just can't fight. So he, uh, when they are under attack, he is actually performing a mass with the believers. Another one, though, he had originally been a mercenary. He had been a person who had taken these uh, native people and enslaved them. And then he repented. And there's a beautiful scene where he actually takes his armor and all of his, arm, uh, his guns and his, his swords, and he climbs the mountain carrying this burden. And he finally gets to the top with it. and He's about half dead. And he presents himself humbly before the, uh, the native people there. And they cut the burden, and they send it over the cliff as an act of, we forgive you. And now these native people, they come to him and they ask him because he's a soldier. Train them to fight. Help them to defend themselves. And the priest, they argue and they talk about it and he, he says, how can I withhold from them what I have the capability of doing that they could save them, they could at least fight for themselves. And so, it's a great picture. It's called the mission. And in it, one priest can't fight the other one chooses to fight now they're both following their conscience they're both acting as believers in Jesus Christ and they are both doing different things and that's what i mean by sometimes what we are called to do it's it's in the gray area for everybody in general but for you or me we know the bible tells us that for the one who knows what he should do and doesn't do it it is a sin If you have a conviction in your heart that you should do something or that you should not do something, and you go against that conviction, now you're into the sin area. And we know in our hearts whether or not an action is right or wrong. And sometimes, you know, the the most difficult is when we know it's a wrong action, but we really want to do it anyway. We know in our hearts, and that's what he's saying. What God desires, what he has told you, what is good. What God desires is evident to all people. It doesn't take special knowledge of Jesus Christ. We know what is right and wrong. Now some people are very good at pushing back and hiding or covering up or ignoring that thing in their body that tells them this is wrong. They do it anyway because it's what they want to do to get ahead or it's what they want to do to pleasure themselves, to give them what they desire. They know it's wrong, but they do it anyway. But ultimately, we know right from wrong. What God desires is evident to all people. You know in your heart if you tell a lie. You know it. You know in your heart if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You know it. Now, we might ignore it. We might deaden ourselves so that we can barely hear it. And the more we walk with Christ, the more we walk with him, the more we will be aware when we are doing the wrong thing or when we are doing the right thing, but it is evident to all people. That's what he's saying. He has told you what is good. And and what is it that the Lord requires of you in verse 8? He has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does God desire? Now, within these these actions, to to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. In in contrast to verses six and seven, where, you know, how should I bow down? What shall I come with burnt offerings, with yearling calves, with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers? I give my own firstborn. Those are all actions. Those are all thinking about what do I need to do to please God? What are the things I need to appease God? What are the things I need to do to win God's favor? And sometimes we think in that way, what are the actions I need to do? And he says, he has told you, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. You know, you know what that is? That's issues of the heart. What he's saying is God doesn't desire, and, and we see this in, in, in Jesus' teaching as well, in, in, in the Psalms. David says, do you desire sacrifice? No, you desire a contrite heart. And Jesus tells them, he says, says, you guys focus on all these offerings and all these tithes, and yet you leave out the weightier matters. God doesn't desire offerings and sacrifices. That doesn't mean that he doesn't expect his people to give them. But it's the heart that drives the sacrifice. It's the heart that gives the sacrifice meaning. It's the heart that gives coming together and worshiping Jesus Meaning The actions of doing it, if all we are doing is going through the motions, it doesn't mean anything. What God ultimately desires, God desires our hearts. He wants us to be wholly His. That's why the Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 and 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart. He wants our hearts. Before the sacrifice, the sacrifice only has meaning if the heart is behind it. If, if a heart that trusts God brings a sacrifice that he would accept it, it'll be accepted. If a heart that doesn't trust God, that doesn't love God brings a sacrifice and he's just trying to, to figure out what can I do to make God happy with me? Well, that's not what it is. It's the heart. God desires the heart, not the sacrifices, not the tithes, but a heart that is the Lord's, now he'll accept a sacrifice. The heart that is Lord's, now he'll take great joy in that tithe that's why Jesus was able to look at the widow who put in a couple of coins and said she gave more than everybody else because her heart is fully for the Lord she loves God so much she gave out of her poverty everything that she had to live on all these other people they're just throwing out of their surplus and they don't care they're just trying to appease God they're just trying to do whatever makes them look good God desires our hearts. And specifically, to do justice, to love kindness. Some some translations say uh, to act justly. But here's the funny thing. It's a a noun. It's not an adverb. Justly, to act justly is an adverb. This is uh, a noun. To do justice. To do or to make justice happen. To do justice. That means that not just that we would seek for for justice in the courts but that we would live and desire and move about in justice that means truth overwhelmingly you know a lot of people are clamoring for justice today but the the way we go about justice oftentimes is unjust you know the 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 focus for instance in this day and age on social justice that that there have been social injustices in the past, and so we need to seek social justice within society to make amends. The problem is, is when you do that, you're not acting against the people who have done something, you're acting against somebody new. It would be like going to the children of a murderer and saying, we are going to uh, execute you because of what your dad did. That's wrong, it's not justice. Now, the people who are saying, we want an eye for an eye... They think they're getting justice. You took our father away, so we're going to take one of you away. It's not justice. To do justice means to speak and act in truth. To do justice to do justice means that you acknowledge what is going on. I, one of the things I loved, Nathan had a soccer game yesterday, and his coach likes to sit, and it's kind of funny. After a play is done, he'll ask the kids on the, on the field, who were you covering on that last play? No, you were, you were over here, and you know, the plate was over there. You weren't doing anything, were you? No, you weren't, you know? And what I love is he'll, he'll ask him, and some of the kids kind of, you can, you can expect, they don't want to acknowledge they did something wrong. No, I was doing the right thing, coach. I was doing the right thing. And I loved it. He asked Nathan, you know, where were you supposed to be? And Nathan was like, over here. Where were you? I was over there, you know? Like, he acknowledged the truth. He acted justly. He, he did justice. He did justice. He said, yeah, I was in the wrong place. I should have been over there. I was over there instead. And that's what justice is. To do justice means that we speak in truth. Not just that we seek for those who have done wrong to be held accountable, but that we would stand up and do the right thing in the first place. That we would desire the right things. That we would speak the truth, that we would live by justice, and that we live for it. That we would acknowledge what is right and what is wrong. All of that is wrapped up in due justice. And, and to love kindness, and, and honestly, each one of these could have had its own sermon, right? <laughs> to love kindness. Kindness is the word Hesed. It's that it, a lot of translations have it to love mercy. Uh, throughout the Psalms, it's often translated loving kindness. It's the idea of God's covenant love his grace his mercy for us the word had the idea of um, doing favors for other people and here's here's the great idea of, of love to love kindness that kindness has with it action the idea of God's loving kindness or of showing mercy to people or giving kindness it has the idea of doing an action for another person doing something for them it's not just an emotion It's not something you feel. It has agency attached to it, that we would live it out. And he says that we should love. We should do justice and love God's loving kindness. That we would love kindness and mercy. That we would love showing it to other people, receiving it. Not just that we should have a high regard for it, but that we should love it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God. We should love kindness and that we should walk with our God in a humble way. In essence, what he's saying to us is that God would have us live righteously. He doesn't want sacrifices, He doesn't want uh, perfect attendance, but He wants our hearts. And He would have us live righteously with our hearts. That we would speak the truth. That we would live up to the truth. If we have done somebody wrong, that we should acknowledge it. If we have had a wrong done, that we should acknowledge it. That if we have seen wrong, we should acknowledge it. But it's not just about after the fact when something wrong has been done. It should also be that we would do the right thing in the first place. Not to curry favor, but just because that's what God has called us to do. I don't know about you, but if I spend all my time living righteously for other people, and and, and very much this is, um, you know, doing justice and loving kindness is an outward behavior. This um, makes us vulnerable to the people around us. I mean, think of it. What are one of the reasons why you lie? Don't you lie to protect yourself? You don't want other people to know this thing about you. You'd rather this thing not be about you, but it is. And so you'll lie. It might be a small lie. It might be what we would call a white lie. But how often do we tell lies to protect ourselves? We don't want people to know, well, I'm really just a boneheaded idiot and I I goofed up that thing. Now we, you know, it, it doesn't have to be an outright lie. Maybe we just shade it a little bit. Because we don't want the truth to be known. It leaves us vulnerable. And so a lot of times when we don't live by justice, it's because we're too busy trying to defend ourselves or protect ourselves. We don't know what's going to happen if we allow justice to be. If we keep showing kindness to others, they might take advantage of us. What do we do there? And so that's why really that third, that, that third part, to walk humbly with your God. You know, if we are going to do justice and if we are going to love kindness and leave ourselves vulnerable to those around us, we, we have two choices, basically. One is to pull back from those and to defend ourselves and protect ourselves and not let other people get too close. And the other one is to say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable here and I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to rely upon you, Lord, that you would protect me. What does the Lord does require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, humble uh, is only, this word that is translated there is only used twice. In the other place, it is used to, uh, for the lowly. It's the idea that we aren't proud in ourselves. We're not arrogant. We don't think greater than ourselves, but that we humble ourselves, that we would humbly walk with our God. To walk, we've looked at that over the last few weeks, different different scripture passages have that idea, lead me on level ground, he will make your path straight, how we live our lives. And so what he is calling us to do, what God desires of us is that we would uh, live righteously, that we would do justice and love kindness, and we would leave the rest up to God. Walk humbly with our God. Where are you leading me, God? Where are you guiding me? I will go. Are you going to allow me to to be in this position where people will take advantage of me, God? Okay, I'm going to trust you and I think you're going to do something with this. It's not what I'm expecting. It's not what I'm wanting maybe, but I'll humble myself. To humble, to, to lower ourselves so that he might be supreme. A lot of times we want to go on our way and we want God to come along with us. We want to take Him with us. We want Him to accompany us. And Micah's saying, no, you need to accompany God. You need to walk with Him. Go with Him. That's what he's asking for us, is that that we would humble, uh, in other words, humble yourself to God's care and direction. That I'm going to trust Him to defend me. I'm going to trust Him to provide for me His care. And I'm going to trust Him to show me where to go, His direction. That we would humble ourselves to His care and direction. That's what He desires. These people that are saying, Lord, we, we, you know, what sacrifices? What should we offer You? They're not listening to God. Even as they're coming and saying, what can we give? What can we give? They're not listening because He's already told them. Nobody had to tell David when he wrote the psalm saying, uh, you desire a contrite heart. Nobody had to tell him that. He knew it deep down, what God really desired. We all deep down know what God desires. He wants us to live righteously. He wants our hearts, not our sacrifices. He wants us to walk with him in a humble manner. That's what he has told us is good. That's what the Lord requires of us. He doesn't require a lot. He just, our hearts, that we would live for Him. That we would live for Him. And through Him. Let's say this verse again together, one last time. Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's walk with Him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the fact that You have made it known in our hearts what is good. We may struggle with it and fight against it and fail to do it. But we know what is good. You have told us. You have made it obvious to us. Lord, we pray as you call us that we would give you our hearts. Lord, not our our actions, although those can come, but Lord, first may we lead with our hearts. May we give you our hearts to live righteously for you, to, to do justice, to speak truth, to live for truth, to live for right verdicts, right answers. No matter if it might hurt us or those we love, may we do what is just. Father, we pray that we would show, and not just show, but love to show kindness to one another, to act in ways that bless each other and those around us. Lord, we pray as we go through our lives that we might walk humbly with you, that we would let you guide us, direct our paths, and trust in you to care for us. Lord, there are so many ways in the modern world that we seek to make our own sacrifices, our own offerings. We want to give you thousands of rams as long as it doesn't cost us what's dearest to us, our own desires, our own hearts. Lord, help us to give you what you actually call for, what you actually require of us, our lives fully devoted to you. We know we can't do that in our own power. We thank you for your Son, and pray, Father, for anyone here today who feels that call and knows that they know what's right or wrong and that they keep doing what's wrong. Lord, they won't do it on their own. They need Jesus. Father, we pray that you would draw them to you. In their heart, that they would give it up to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.